following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, March 14, 2021, on the basis of John 3, verses 14 through 21. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. There's a lot loaded into the word love. In fact, if you take the phrase, I love you, and put any number of words after it, you can find at least four different ways that that statement can be taken. I love you, dude. I love you, dad. I love you, wife. I love you, pizza. And of course, all the, in all those different types of love, no matter which one it is, all of those loves are contingent on something. My friends hang out with me. My parents raised me in a loving home. My wife is faithful to me, and every pizza I've ever loved has been decent enough not to have olives on it. That's just common sense, though. You know, it, we, we have this idea of love, which leads us to, for our own good, sometimes stop loving when that love is not reciprocated. You know, at some point, it's just not rational to keep on loving because love can be abused in ways that range from petty to criminal. And so, naturally, when people stop earning that love or cease to deserve that love, we stop loving. And it can, I mean, it's just common sense. But if that's the way God loved us, none of us would be here today. Historically, he had little reason to start loving us and every reason in the world to stop. And yet he does continue to love us. He will continue to love us. So much, in fact, that he set it in stone by sending his own son. And yet because we have this very human idea of love, this very logical notion about what love is, we sometimes apply that to God. And it leads us into deep trouble. But when we look at Jesus' words in our gospel for today, we see the way he loves us. And we understand that pride in ourselves and shame in ourselves, that could either, that these ideas that we could either gain God's love or forfeit it on our own, fly right out the window. And we see that throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But today we focus on a man named Nicodemus who came to Jesus to learn all about that love. We have little trouble today thinking about going out after dark. You know, we have, our streets are well lit at night, our headlights guide our way down the road, so there's little reason in this day and age why we can't utilize all 24 hours for business or pleasure or anything in between, aside from the inevitable need for sleep, which you may be feeling this morning. But when Nicodemus came to Jesus, it was dark. They didn't have street lights. They didn't have headlights. In those days, night became the kind of darkness that you didn't go out into unless you were about to do something that you couldn't do in broad daylight. Now, Nicodemus didn't have anything immoral or nefarious in mind, but he still didn't want his friends or his colleagues to know anything about what he was doing because Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and he was going to visit a teacher of the gospel. Pharisees had no trouble gathering together with Jesus. In fact, maybe even gaining an audience with him to talk to him in public. But usually, it was to try and trip him up. 
make him look like a fool. And as a general rule, a Pharisee would never go out at any point to ask Jesus for advice or especially give him praise. And so if these holy men, Nicodemus's colleagues, were to find out that he was going out after dark to do just that, well, they might just stop being so holy to him. That's just human love, though, isn't it? It's always got an agenda. It's always, it always needs to find something to latch onto. Human love always needs to find something in the object of its love that's worth loving. Even the purest human love, which I guess would be parental love, has its limits because humans are fickle and shifty, not only in the way that we show love, but also in the way that we receive it. And so we sort of hide ourselves, revealing ourselves little by little, staying on guard so that we don't make ourselves vulnerable to somebody for, to let them abuse our love or so that we don't reveal something that might make us forfeit our love. And on the, flip, on the flip side, we also feel justified in retracting that love when somebody ceases to deserve it. We have very logical reasons for loving that way. But when we apply it to God, we run into a pit of deep trouble. Because God's love doesn't have its origin in anything that we do or anything that we are. It simply comes from who he is. That's news not everybody can believe. Because when everybody around you has abandoned you, when you feel like you've lost the love of everybody in your vicinity, in your circle of friends, it's easy to feel like you've lost God's love too. It's like, well, if I, if I can't even earn the love of sinners, what hope do I have of receiving the love of a holy God? And it's not news everybody wants to hear either. Because it's human nature not only to think that we can earn it or that we should earn it, but to think that we have earned it. But that's a fragile love to believe in. And so as sinners, we can either ride that false confidence straight into hell or it collapses out from under us and we despair our way into, we despair our way into hell. Because if God's love is anything like human love, then it does us no good in our relationship with God and it does us no good in our relationship with each other. But God's love is essential to his character. And so he loves you and he says he loves you and he shows you that he loves you for no other reason than that you might see how much he loves you. As Jesus spoke with Nicodemus, words of comfort and words of warning, he knew exactly the kind of man he was talking to. He knew what Nicodemus had said. He knew what Nicodemus had done, every detail of Nicodemus's life. And yet, even if Nicodemus thought that he was a perfectly righteous man, he only needed to look around him, at the people around him, to see people who needed the love of God as much as the Pharisees might have thought they had earned it. A Christian is not going to see the world through rose-colored glasses. They're going to be a realist about it. As we look at the world around us and the people in it. We can trust God when he says that there's nothing God-pleasing here. As we go out into the world, the words we're going to hear are blasphemous. The, the sinners that we're going to meet are unrepentant. Each sin that we witness is just one link on a long chain reaction of evil that's been going from the beginning and won't stop 
until God does away with it. A Christian understands that there's nothing here worth saving. And yet a Christian is also an optimist. And so as we meet sinner after sinner after sinner, we can't dare to assume that any one of them is beyond saving, beyond redemption. And we can't dare to retract that promise of salvation that God has extended to them simply because God extended it to us first. And especially because God has extended it to us first. That's the kind of love that God gives us. That truest, deepest kind of love that always leaves you asking, why? What have I done to deserve this? That's the love God has shown you. And so where's the proof? Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to the temple day after day with sacrifices. He knew his Torah forwards and backwards. He kept himself ritually pure as often as he possibly could. And yet here he was, going out under the cover of night, hiding his actions from his friends, also that he could talk to Jesus. He was hiding that from believers. And so if the love of God couldn't even be found among God's people, among his holiest people, then where could it be found? And Jesus points him right to it. Because even if we will forever be asking why to the love of God, God has made sure from beginning to end that we always know and we always remember how. With those old familiar words of, the, of verse John 3.16, where he says, probably don't even need to read it, but here goes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I imagine we're all familiar with those words. It's what people will call the gospel in a nutshell, the good news of God, all condensed in a single phrase with a cause, a means, and a result. And yet, no matter how familiar it is, in fact, maybe even because of how familiar it is, it's easy for us to take that as a whole package and underestimate what it means for us, underestimate what God is telling us. And so we start by looking at that one word, give. God so loved the world that he didn't just give his son to the world, although that's where a lot of people will leave it. I mean, Nicodemus and the disciples were convinced that Jesus had come to get the Romans off their backs once and for all, make Israel the greatest nation on earth, the greatest people on earth. They would be dominant. End of story. Fast forward 2,000 years and we look around us at the turmoil we see, whether it's oppression of other people or oppression in our own lives or depression, whatever it is, it's easy to, to, to slap a Jesus sticker on that and think that he's going to be the one to lead, it out of, lead us out of it. World peace isn't something that Jesus is either incapable or unwilling to achieve. But it's not what he came here for. If Jesus came into the world to break all the chains and, and, and be a liberator of all those who suffer, well, then he failed. If Jesus came into this world to be our king, then he failed. Even if Jesus came to get everybody around him to live the way he did, all it takes is for us to look in the mirror to see that he failed. But he didn't fail because he came into the world for a singular purpose and it was not anything te temporary 
wasn't anything momentary. I mean, don't get me wrong, the presence of God's Son in a godless world is certainly love, but it's not enough to achieve the goal of his love. Instead, God loved the world so much that he gave his Son for the world. If the result of believing in him is that we will not perish, then the natural understanding is that someone did and that someone was his son. And so we can't gloss over that when we read God so loved the world because he so loved the world that he gave up his son. He so loved the sinful world that he paid for its redemption in innocent blood. He so loved the world that he preferred to give his son to humiliation and to death rather than see a single sinner die in their sins. And there we find the genius of the cross. Last week, I think we talked about the foolishness of the cross, the foolishness of God being wiser than man's wisdom. But here we see the genius of the cross, that even those who stood in the courtyard demanding Jesus' death, even those who beat him and mocked him and nailed him to the cross and put the finishing blows on his death, even they could be saved by those actions. God left no one out when he loved the world. And therefore, God also loves you. So how do we live then? And how do we love? I think there's peace in knowing that God loves you. There's a security in knowing that even when everybody else around you abandons you, God won't. And yet, unless we can be reflections of that love, unless the recipients of that love can be reflections of that love, it's going to be a long and lonely life. God so loved the world, not so that the world could think more highly of itself, not so that each of us individually could make it on our own. God so loved the world, and really God so loved the church, so that the church could love the same way God does. And that love that we see among us, that love that we have received is the foundation of any good Christian community where we live together as a family, where no one is turned away, where no one is denied the grace of God and where every single one of us is a reflection of that love. The next time Nicodemus came to Jesus, it was broad daylight as he came to take Jesus' body down from the cross and prepare it for burial. And I imagine that there was some fear still in his heart. He had made a big leap coming out to show kindness to the man that his people had just put to death, who they hated so much. And now he's coming out in broad daylight to treat him as a brother. So I imagine there was fear but there's also faith. And it's interesting because his greatest act of faith up until that point was shown after his leader had died. And that tells me he took Jesus' words to heart. There was nothing in particular about Nicodemus that Jesus loved. No one quality about Nicodemus that Jesus pointed to and said, that's why I love you, Nicodemus. But he loved Nicodemus all the same. And God has so loved you that you might do the same. Amen.